This is Laura Deardo with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Barbara Pahood, Director of Research for Infectious Diseases at Children's Mercy in Kansas City. Barbara, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. Before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Absolutely. I'm originally from Mexico. I am a pediatrician. Then I specialized in infectious diseases, and then I did a, a fellowship in vaccine safety. So I am very interested in uh, educating the public about vaccines, uh, healthcare providers as well, and I do a lot of clinical trials and vaccines. So I'm uh, interested in everything there is to know about vaccines from research to safety to communication and teaching. Got it. And I, I'm sure that, you know, with everything going on in the COVID-19 vaccine, the kind of background and expertise is really, really valuable. From your perspective, what are some of the big issues that you anticipate um, for the vaccine rollout now as it starts to go to children as well? I think that it's going to be very similar to what we're seeing with adults. There's some parents that are eager to get their kids vaccinated, and those parents are going to struggle at the beginning in finding doses because Uh, it's going to be a lot of people waiting for uh, some doses to come out. Now, we've learned a lot from the adult rollout, so I think the pediatric rollout is going to be a little bit smoother. But then we're going to hit that plateau like we are seeing with adults now where some parents are a little bit on the fence. They're not very comfortable giving the vaccine to their kids, and we're not going to see as many people vaccinated as I wish we had, because this is still a vaccine that's approved under emergency use authorization, and people are still a little bit nervous about the safety of the vaccine. Now, I'm wondering, you know, I know there has been a lot of talk right now during the pandemic about the access to care and some uh, diverse populations. And I'm wondering, what are you doing in the pediatric sense to make sure that you're getting diversity um, within the the children that are receiving the vaccine, especially in some of the trials? So what we did, at least locally at Children's Mercy, is we created a registry that we opened about two, three months ago, and uh, parents throughout the Kansas City area can sign up and say they're interested in participating in clinical trials. That uh, database now is over 5,000 patients, and we're probably going to end up enrolling 100 to 150 kids on the ground. So we clearly have a lot of interest. And that gives us the capacity to filter and scroll and make sure that we are enrolling African-American, Latino, white, Asian, um, and as many diverse populations as we can by basically selecting the best patients for the trial. Because the pediatric trials are smaller than the adult trials, we don't need to use necessarily the mobile units and other uh, techniques that we used in the adult trials but we are still going to be able to ensure that we have a diverse group of patients enrolled in these studies. In addition, we shared our registry information, which is usually not something that investigators do, because if you think about it, in theory, we're competing with each other for these patients, right? But I don't see this as a competition. Again, like I said, what we need to do in these settings is collaborate. So I actually shared our um, registry database and uh, the procedures that we put in place to create it with other investigators across the country so that they can start doing the same. And I've gotten emails already from collaborators in uh, D.C. and other places who said, oh, we want to do that, too, because that's going to help them also get the best participants for the trial. So, again, by helping each other, 
I think we're going to be able to get to a vaccine faster. And the faster we get to a vaccine, the faster we can get this vaccine to all kids. Got it. That makes sense. And, uh, you know, I know one of the things you mentioned you um, have been interested in research is looking at the messaging around, uh, you know, vaccines and, and other issues in healthcare. What do you think is the most effective way to approach messaging for getting the vaccine and, and especially addressing vaccine hesitancy, obviously for adults, but, but children as well? I would say the best thing to do in my experience so far has been transparency above everything. Being honest with the public, helping them understand the science, and uh, making sure that they can make an informed decision. The only way you can truly make an informed decision is if you understand how these vaccines were made, uh, what are the side effects, what can you expect, and if you're prepared for what's coming, it's easier for you to decide whether you want to be a part of this or not. So I have met a lot of people that were not very eager to get the vaccine, and after I've had conversations with them and I help them understand how, for example, the vaccine does not change your DNA, and I make drawings, I show them why, how, how these things actually work, people are very eager to get the vaccine once they understand. So I think part of the problem is communication, unfortunately. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Now, I understand that you spent time in Mexico City dealing with vaccines as well. What did you learn from your time there and how can that be applied to COVID-19 vaccine distribution? Yes. So in Mexico, we do a very good job of distributing vaccines. We have a very robust system where we even do what we call sweep vaccination campaigns. And that does not quite exist here in the United States. So there's some things that I think developing countries do very well when it comes to vaccination that um, some of the uh, countries like the United States could still learn. So when we want to immunize an entire population, for example, in Mexico against measles, mumps, rubella, we send out healthcare workers out into the field. You will see vaccination clinics in every corner, literally people just sitting in a little bench with a table administering vaccines. Now, you can imagine doing that in the United States with the messenger RNA vaccines would be quite the challenge because these vaccines need to be kept at uh, extreme cold temperatures, and the logistics of that is difficult, which is why some of the other vaccines like the AstraZeneca, Oxford, or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, uh, or in the future vaccines like Novavax, which are coming out in the pipeline, are easier to be able to implement in rural settings or in developing countries or countries like mine, Mexico, where you can roll out the vaccine that way by just uh, sending it out in the existing infrastructure that we already have to be able to immunize large numbers of people at once. Got it. Got it. That's so interesting to hear and, and really, you know, uh, thought provoking in terms of how the vaccine rollout has been going and, and really the ease of the logistics around that. Um, now, as we wrap up our conversation, could you share three pieces of advice for emerging leaders in, in pediatric physicians today? Absolutely. So I think that it's important for all of us to uh, pay attention to what's happening around us. Some people, uh, kind of feel like they were left behind uh, with COVID if they were not paying attention early on. And uh, other people feel like they're right smack in the middle of it, right? So if you have never done, for example, clinical trials, but you're a pediatrician, you have expertise in children and you want to help, I know that a lot of these um, industries that are jumping in to enroll more patients in clinical trials. Uh, 
and they're looking for people eager to learn and do the work. So just because you've never done something before doesn't mean you can't be paired up with somebody that does and be able to help in many different ways. I am currently working with about 10 or 15 uh, physicians that have never done clinical trials, but they are helping me implement the clinical trials here in uh, Kansas City. And without them, I wouldn't be able to do the numbers of enrollment that I'm doing. So there's a lot of things that you can do, even if you feel like you don't have the expertise by simply pairing up with other people together, we can do great things basically. Got it. Got it. I think that's a great point in terms of trying new things and really figuring out, you know, who within uh, your network can support you on that. Barbara, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. My pleasure. Have a good day.